0: This is Matt Pennington with Radio Free Asia. Welcome to our podcast Eyes on Asia where we look each week at some of the key stories in the region as covered by RFA and speak to the journalists who cover them. I'm joined by Paul Eckert who heads up RFA's English language service that helps bring the reporting of RFA's nine different language services to an English speaking audience. How are you Paul? I'm doing well, thanks Matt. So, On the Southeast Asian front this week, I will be looking at the geopolitical jousting between China and the U.S. as regards Cambodia. This week saw the highest level U.S. diplomatic visit to Phnom Penh in five years. That took place against the backdrop of China's development of naval facilities on Cambodia's coast. But first, we turn to Hong Kong. It's an opportune time to reflect on the closing space for democracy there, as today is June the 4th. For many years, thousands of people were gathering Hong Kong on June the 4th to mark the anniversary of the 1989 massacre by Chinese security forces of pro-democracy protesters in Beijing's Tiananmen Square. Not this year, as China turns the screw on free expression and assembly in a once relatively free Hong Kong we will be speaking to an elected Hong Kong lawmaker who was stripped of his position and has moved to the U.S. He's the perfect person to assess the city's shocking transformation over the past year or so. So over to you, Paul.
1: Sixtus Bajio Lung Chung Hong has spent nearly half of his 34 years as a Hong Kong activist and politician. The former president of the City University of Hong Kong Students Union founded Youngspiration, an independence-minded localist political group in the city. He was elected to the Legislative Council, Hong Kong's parliament, in 2016, but a political statement during his oath-taking ceremony that angered Beijing caused Leung and five other Youngspiration members to be stripped of their seats later that year. Last year, facing arrest under a draconian national security law imposed by Beijing, Leung fled to the United States, where he set up the Hong Kong Liberation Coalition to help others in his situation. Thank you for making time for us on June 4th, Bajio. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us about when and how you made your way to the United States and
2: why you had
1: to leave your native Hong Kong?
2: I was charged a novel assembly uh, retrospectively for entering the parliament chamber after I was disqualified from the body that I had been elected to back in 2016, and I was jailed for a month for such a ridiculous so-called crime uh, in year 2020. And when I got released, I noticed that some people were always following me. We had no idea who they are, but judging from experience. That usually was a bad sign for being on the regime's radar again, and nothing good follows. And that's Hong Kong right now, a city of white terror, under the evil CCP regime. That's the very re- reason that why I'm here, because I feel no longer safe at home. I'm lucky that at that time I was not banned from leaving Hong Kong. I took the chance, applied for a visa, bought an air ticket uh, at the very last moment, took a flight on 30th of uh, November and arrived in uh, Washington, D.C.
1: Okay, so now you're involved in what is known as the Hong Kong Liberation Coalition in the United States. What are you and the coalition doing in terms of working on the Hong Kong issue and helping other people who may be in trouble in Hong Kong?
2: Hong Kong Liberation Coalition is a nonprofit nonpartisan non-partisan organization registered in Washington, D.C. that's formed by Hong Kongers in Excel. We are dedicated to support uh, Hong Kong asylum seekers in United States, at well as uh, advocating the international community to take concrete actions in support of freedom and democracy of Hong Kong. And we are committed to do like uh, necessary humanitarian assistance to the asylum seekers, and also bringing policymakers and the public of the free world to the ordinary Hong Kong protesters who have direct experience in fighting against uh, CCP. Now, you mentioned
1: the free world, so what sort of actions and support from the United States and other like-minded countries would be most helpful for the people of Hong Kong at this moment?
2: The international community, the free world, needs to be awakened to the growing threat of the CCP in undermining our universal values. And in terms of action, I think in two ways that the United States and other like-minded countries can help Hong Kongers the one is a uh, lifeboat program, and the other way is to impose meaningful sanctions to China. The
1: lifeboat program, is that yeah. a, a, a way to expedite asylum
2: processing? Asylum process is one of the, the ways that, that we can do so. You know, in the Congress, actually, uh, like Hong Kong uh, Safe Harbor Act, uh, some act like this could uh, really help Hong Kongers to at least have a choice to choose to leave or not when they are in danger. I see. Now,
1: for listeners who may not be aware of how dramatically the environment has changed in Hong Kong, can you give us a few examples that you know of personally of how things that used to be totally legal are now outlawed in
2: the city? There are lots of examples. Like I was elected as a legislator back in 2016. But now in 2020, the government even canceled the the election. Like when I was campaigning in 2016, we used the slogan, liberate Hong Kong revolution of our time as our main platform. And now if you change this in Hong Kong, you will be charged with national security law. Like on the January 6th this year, the Hong Kong police arrest 53 pro-democracy activists for either holding or participant in an unofficial primary election. So in Hong Kong, to organize or taking part in primaries and unofficial an primaries ahead the election is so-called crime now because they dare to strategize and to try to win majority in the legislation election. If the Democrats are convicted, they could face up to lifelong imprisonment. They were detained in the Sunday night and began the bell hearing from Monday till Thursday and chateau Beijing Detention Center at the court. The defendants had little uh, opportunity to sleep, uh, access to a lawyer. Eight were taken to the hospital after falling sick. Can you imagine this could happen in Hong Kong, and this is Hong Kong right now?
1: No, I cannot imagine, given the history of, of the place. Now, when you started to get involved in politics uh, seven or eight years ago or earlier, did you ever imagine that Hong Kong would be producing political prisoners and also
2: political asylum seekers? That's a good question that makes me remember the situation that I faced when I formed the political party Youngspiration. I found Youngspiration after Umbrella Revolution and at that time actually Hong Kongers were facing more or less similar social atmosphere at that time. We were orient in the social movement the occupation and we failed to gain anything. The point I want to bring out is that I was actually uh, pessimistic at the time as others. I think that Hong Kongers may lose all our freedom if we do nothing or acting too late. And that's the reason why I found the aspiration. And unfortunately, I still failed to change the situation.
1: Well, it happens to be June 4th today, and that's a special day for people around the world who think about Chinese political history. And it's always been a particularly poignant uh, time in Hong Kong. But of course, nothing major was allowed to happen in Hong Kong today. How do you feel when you see the pictures of Victoria Park in Hong Kong empty this year?
2: Uh, of course, I feel angry, but I'm not surprised. Tyranny won't stop doing bad things, and CCP will definitely keep pushing. I expect if we fail to do anything, fail to make them to pay the cost, China expansion is a cause of Behavior will continue. And that is not only a problem for Hong Kong, not just for Asia, but a looming threat to international order and democracy everywhere. We need actions and pressures to yield results. And finally,
1: we've just learned that Chao Hong Tong, like you, a fellow activist, long involved in democratic politics, and especially in remembering Tiananmen, was arrested and accused of inciting people to disobey the ban on the
2: services. Do you have any thoughts about that arrest? And you know, she was arrested in the morning, real morning, at at morning 7 a.m., far before the event that she told she will join. And this is Hong Kong right now. They just want to arrest every single activist who can mobilize people. And, and this really shows something is, is that to me, actually June 4th is not just a commemorative day as before, but literally showing the fight between Hong Kongers and the free world versus dictatorship and, and his expansionist behavior. Our youngsters told me that to him, the actual event happened in uh, 1989 doesn't matter anymore to, to young people who was born far after 1989. And he's not a historian. But this uh, June 4 uh, remembrance um, in 2021 20, served only one purpose. This is to show resistance. Whatever the government tried to ban, we would do it. And that's all. This is what the youngster told me. And I think it tells a lot about the mentality about uh, the younger generation in Hong Kong right now.
1: Well, thank you for your time, Baggio. You probably played a role in inspiring those young people with the party called Youngspiration, which is a clever play on words. So again, I thank you and good luck in your mission. Thank you, Paul.
0: Now we turn to Cambodia, which in the past week saw its highest level visit by a U.S. diplomat in five years. It's no secret that relations between the U.S. and Cambodian governments have become increasingly strained as Prime Minister Hun Sen clamped down on democratic freedoms and deepened his government's embrace of China. On the eve of the visit to Phnom Penh by Wendy Sherman, the number two U.S. diplomat, the Cambodian defense minister confirmed to RFA Khmer that China was helping to refurbish Riam Naval Base in southwestern Cambodia. That appeared to confirm long-held U.S. suspicions of China's ambitions to have a military presence there, although Cambodia denies it will be a Chinese military base. Now, to tell me about that interview with the defense minister, I'm joined by the journalist who conducted it, Gail Savannah Ritt, better known as Rit. He'll also tell us a little bit about the significance and the outcomes of Wendy Sherman's visit to Phnom Penh. Welcome, Rick.
3: Well, thank you, Matt, for having me.
0: Great, good to have you. So first of all, Rick, can you tell me a little bit about your interview with the defense minister? Does RFA get to speak to him often? And what did you learn from that interview?
3: Well, I would say that not quite often. The defense minister, Tiwan, talked to us via phone interview, you know. This is the first time that Defense Minister Tiwang disclosed to us he has been seeking assistance from his partner over the past 10 years in regard to looking for modernizing or upgrading the uh, RIM Naval Base, including the uh, port itself, the uh, ship repairing facility or workshop, and the gate, etc. So Tiwang said uh, it was not until most recently that such partner agreed to his proposal he eventually confirmed that, for the first time, that his partner is no other country than uh, China. And Ban denied to disclose further detail about the scope of such uh, Chinese assistance, the amount of funding, the duration, uh, et cetera. He merely stated that China had Cambodia modernizing and upgrading the Rim naval base without any so-called string attached, and T. also state that uh, China also bring with them their forces and that uh, they will hand over to Cambodia the construction when such a modernization project is completed.
0: As we all know, there's been a lot of attention in the past couple of years about riam Naval Base. What evidence is there so far of a growing Chinese involvement or presence there?
3: As you may know, the U.S. argue that it has substantial evidence And credible reports that China was working on a major renovation project at RIM Naval Base. And other foreign media also raised suspicion, which uh, uh, suggests that Cambodia might grant China exclusive rights over access to RIM Naval Base. And last year, the Pentagon also raised concern that uh, it was worried about Cambodia's move to demolish the US funded uh, building at the uh, Cambodian naval uh, tactical headquarters located right in the uh, rim naval base. And uh, the U.S. intelligence community in its uh, 2019 report also state clearly that the uh, ruling party, the CPP itself, with uh, complete dominance of the uh, national legislation, would likely to open the way for a constitutional amendment that uh, could lead to Eventually, Chinese military presence in, in the country. So, on, t- on, on the top of that, uh, you may remember the uh, Wall Street Journal bombshell report in July 2019 saying that Cambodia and China signed a secret military pact that would allow China to use the uh, RIM Naval Base for over 30 years with uh, possible automatic renewal for every 10 years afterwards, of which uh, I think China would be able to post military personnel store weapons or hardware or dark uh, it worship. And later on, we also see satellite imagery published by a well-known U.S. think tank uh, known as the Asia Maritime Transparency Initiative about Cambodia move to demolish two U.S.-funded uh, buildings sometime in late uh, 2020 without any proper explanation to the US side. And most recent update, the AMTI itself also revealed in, uh, that uh, two new buildings have been repeatedly constructed, probably done around May 21st at the RIM network base, just not uh, of the uh, US funded facility that were demolished. So when I questioned Thiebany about that, he denied such uh, construction saying that uh, the publication of the satellite imagery itself was aiming at stirring trouble ahead of the uh, U.S. official high-level visit to Cambodia.
0: Cambodia has strenuously been denying that it's going to allow a Chinese military base on its soil. But if the reports are true that China does have this sort of military presence, a real naval base, Why would that be of interest to China? Why would it be strategically important to them?
3: So by having a permanent access to the RIM Naval base, it would allow China to easily reach the Gulf of Thailand, the Strait of Malacca as well. And in this this sense, RIM could also serve as China's stopover point to uh, protect and to control its shipping lines across the Malacca Strait. It also allow China to, let's say, easily reach Malaysia and Singapore, which is the U.S. ally in the region. And it is predicted that China could use it to protect its powers economically, um, socially or military, or to enforce not only its territorial claim in South China Sea, but also its threatened to U.S. ally in Southeast Asia.
0: Okay, so there's a lot of potential strategic significance if, yes. if it did have a a foothold on mainland Southeast Asia at Rheem Naval Base and the maritime access that would allow. Now, Terban spoke to you about all of this, about um, allowing China to refurbish the naval base just before uh, Wendy Sherman came to visit Cambodia. I mean, do you think it's significant, the timing of his comments to you? Was he trying to send a message um, to the U.S. about Cambodia's relationship with China?
3: there seemed to be so-called like a well-coordinated timing for Cambodian high-ranking officials, uh, including the Prime Minister Hun Sen himself, to use uh, China factor as the uh, leverage during the high-level U.S. visit. As you may remember, several days prior to the visit, uh, Prime Minister Hun Sen once told uh, Japanese media outlet, the uh, Nikkei Asian Review, I guess, that uh, if he doesn't rely on China, who else will he has to rely on? He questioned that, and quite clearly, this statement was made not by accident, but just a couple of days ahead of the uh, uh, high-level visit to Cambodia. And then, during my interview with Ban himself on May tw- May 30, uh, Ban eventually disclosed that China, that it is China that helped Cambodia to modernize the port. Also, uh, the latest satellite imagery of the U.S. tank also. F- Found out that, also revealed that two new building construction were rapidly completed on May 21st, which is a couple of days away before the visit. So I think that the timing itself for all this development seem to highlight the fact that Phnom Penh is sending a signal to the U.S. government that it is playing the China card as the leverage. And among this, also, uh, there are also other cards. Above all, Cambodia will chair the ASEAN sub- the ASEAN summit in 2022 that uh, so this is uh, this all are kind of uh, heavy leverage for cambodian international image
0: okay so tell me a bit about wendy sherman's meetings in cambodia in this past week who did she meet and what did she have to say
3: uh, us deputy secretary of state uh, wendy sherman held a 2 hour meeting with prime minister hun sen and Also in attendance, also included uh, Foreign Minister Prat Sokhon and Defence Minister Thibang, who I spoke to, and along with a number of other high-ranking government uh, foreign affairs officials. So a lot of issues were raised on the table during this uh, high-level meeting, including the reassurance of the uh, U.S. commitment to Cambodian people the uh, China factor at the Rim Naval Base, and the issue of uh, declining human rights and democracy in Cambodia. So on the China factor, we know that uh, the Riem Naval Base issue emerged and the US Deputy Secretary of State expressed serious concerns about China military prison and construction of a facility at Riem Naval Base. And she sought clarification on the past demolition of two U.S.-funded buildings, Cambodia moved without any explanation from the government. So she urged Cambodia to maintain so-called independent and balanced foreign policy and in the best interest of Cambodian people. She requested a Cambodian leader to allow visit by U.S. military attache to the Rim naval base and most recently, the U.S. Embassy in Phnom Penh uh, later confirmed with us that a routine and frequent visit by all foreign military attaché to the RIM Naval Base would contribute to uh, increased t- transparency.
0: Cambodian authorities have confirmed that, that they will allow the U.S. military attache to visit RIM Naval Base?
3: That is correct, Matt. But uh, we don't know exactly how soon it is and whether it happened on a routine or frequent basis or not. Okay,
0: so there will be some degree of transparency, I guess, in Cambodia's plans at RIM Naval Base.
3: Yes, another interesting development uh, to watch during her visit is definitely her meeting with Mr. Kamsuka, who is the uh, president of the now dissolved main opposition party C- CNRP. Mr. Kamsuka is uh, still technically under house arrest on a bogus charge of uh, committing treason. So he, his case has not been dropped and the proceeding has been repeatedly delayed from since 2017 while he was arrested. So the US Deputy Secretary of State uh, Wendy Sherman tweeted after the meeting that she discussed with Mr. Kamsuka issue of their importance, including ensuring a peaceful, prosperous, sovereign, democratic future for Cambodia. She also stressed that the U.S. supports the Cambodian people, above all, their aspiration for democracy, their right to exercise, and their fundamental freedom.
0: Okay. Now, I saw that she called for what you could describe as politically motivated charges against members of the political opposition and journalists and activists to be dropped. How was that received in Cambodia, or, you know, particularly by the government?
3: The Cambodian side did not uh, mention even a single word about the issue raised by the U.S. counterpart with regard to human rights and democracy, as well as... The urging for a uh, fair election uh, ahead of uh, 2022 communal election and 2023 national election. So, the statement itself merely talks about the uh, positive side of the Cambodian US cooperation, which uh, it said that both sides expressed so satisfaction on a wide ranging aspect, including trade, investment, MIA program, the counterterrorism, and humanitarian affairs and debt settlement. So Cambodia also reaffirmed that it's a commitment to deportation program of the Cambodian National from the U.S., as well as uh, the issue of RIM. It touched a little bit, saying that uh, Cambodia reiterated strong determination to maintain and protect the independence, neutrality, and sovereignty in both uh, domestic and foreign policy.
0: Okay. So Cambodian government really didn't React to the U.S. calling for Cambodia to respect human rights and allow fair elections. So what do analysts think about the hope for democratic reforms and allowing space for opposition politicians to take part in next year's commune elections? Do they see much hope of that?
3: Well, uh, following this uh, high-level visit uh, of U.S. officials, I tried to talk to a number of uh, political commentators and observers they basically they told me that they don't specifically see any positive sign in in, in terms of prime minister hun sen government uh, would likely return to commitment to democratic reform and opening more space for opposition politicians one uh, political commentator told me that uh, the use of diplomatic channel diplomatic language or diplomatic means by the us government to press cambodia for a return to democracy will not work in the present context. He doesn't expect that uh, it will change the mindset of the current Cambodian ruling leaders. Another political commentator interestingly said that uh, the return of Cambodian democracy and political space is a sensitive issue for the government and the current uh, ruling party. He argued that this is because of uh, the fact that uh, it related to the maintenance, stability and uh, sustainability of their power. So he said that the ruling party still need more time to prepare itself to ensure that they are confident enough to win the heart and the mind of the people, to restore their popularity, and to effectively control the country. So for him, he doesn't expect such a reform to occur anytime soon ahead of the uh, 2022 elections, to the extent of assembling democracy.
0: Okay, so it sounds like there's no imminent signs that Hun Sen is going to loosen his grip on the country. So, Rit, thank you so much for explaining to us about your excellent interview with Teban and for your coverage of Wendy Sherman's visit to Cambodia.
3: Thank you so much, Mark.
1: Thanks, Rit and Matt, for that look at Cambodia. We will be watching to see whether U.S. diplomatic intervention can help nudge Hun Sen towards political reforms. The prospects don't appear so rosy.
0: Indeed, they don't, Paul. It's hard to see how diplomatic pressure from the West will change Hun Sen's calculus. I mean, he exercised the political nuclear option by outlawing the main opposition party in 2017. Does he care enough about international opinion to make a political compromise at this point? I guess we'll see. Anyway, please join us again next week for another sampling of RFA's coverage. Until then, you can visit our website, rfa.org. Our past podcasts are available on platforms like Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iTunes. Just search for Eyes on Asia. If you've any feedback or suggestions, please drop us a line or attach an audio message. Our email is EOA at RFA.org. It stands for Eyes on Asia. I'm Matt Pennington with Radio Free Asia alongside Paul Eckert. This series is created by Leo Kim and produced by Radio Free Asia. Thank you for listening and please
3: join us again.